Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who is never quitting, just like Jason Witten. He is the captain. But if you send me beer, I'm always smitten. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week we are featuring Intergalactic Juice Hunter by Odd 13 Brewing in Lafayette, Colorado. This is a New England style IPA, nice and hazy, brewed with Galaxy and Amarillo hops and an ABV of 8%. Garage grade 4 out of 5 bottle caps. And this out of this world beer was brought to us by these extraordinary stars right here. First up, we have a nice jib cheers to Kelsey in Portland, Oregon. And a big shout out to Christian in Covina, California. Next up, we have a cheers to Jessa and Nick in Madison, Wisconsin. And a big we like your jib to Lawrence in Surf City, North Carolina. And here's a round from Stephanie and Tim in Plantation, Florida, and their friend Michelle. And last... But certainly not least, we have Daniel and Patricia in Banger, Maine. So thanks to everybody for going to TrueCrimeGarage.com and helping us out with this week's beer fun. And for all of our old episodes, check us out on the Stitcher app. They're free. Download the Stitcher app. Everything from the first episode till now is free on the Stitcher app. And we have a weekly bonus show called off the record and that's on stitcher premium that's five dollars a month check that out yes the stitcher app is awesome and again it's totally free you're going to want to make sure you check that out all right captain that is enough of the business everybody gather around grab a chair grab a beer let's talk some true crime New 
information on the death of a local cyclist who went missing last Thursday in the Palmer Lake area. El Paso County Sheriff's investigators have upgraded the death of Tim Watkins to a homicide, and they've just told News 5 he was shot to death. His body found Sunday in the very place where he loved to ride. A lot of questions unanswered tonight, so we turn to News 5's Lena Howland live in Palmer Lake. What have you learned, Lena? In the heart of Palmer Lake, this news has everyone on edge here tonight with a strong warning from the sheriff's office to remain vigilant. And it's a small town. It's, you know, you feel safe in a town like this. That's why people move here. That feeling of safety in the far distance for neighbors like David Tenace, who has lived here in the Palmer Lake area for four years now. A little bit scary just to think about if somebody would ambush you or, um, you know, who knows what could happen. And the kids, you know, just playing in the neighborhood in general, if, that's, that's scary to know. The body of his friendly and well-known neighbor, 60-year-old Tim Watkins, was found by a civilian in the Mount Hermon area on Sunday morning. Search and rescue crews had found his shoe and bike nearby the day before, but the search was called off when the sun went down. Today, though, this death investigation upgraded to a homicide. It was very surprising, especially for an area like this where everybody walks around and kids bike around all the time and we've never really had to worry about something like this before. Now 12-year-old Amelia Tenace has taken a break from her bike and a break from being outside. Now me and my friends are too afraid to go on bike rides anymore because since nobody was found yet, it's really scary. I just think it's really sad and um, heartbreaking to hear that because that doesn't happen up here very often at all. Watkins' body was found in a popular recreation area used by a lot of people. Our family goes up there with our dog and we take hikes and um, it's a beautiful area and our our school does cross-country runs up there so the kids are up there. It's a, it's a great trail but sad to know that that could be a possibility of what happened up there. And with no suspects right now, the sheriff's office is asking the community to remain on higher alert. If they see anything out of the ordinary, to please give the sheriff's office a call. No tip is too small. Even if you think it is irrelevant, please let us decide that. Again, the sheriff's office says vigilance is key here. If you see anything suspicious or out of the ordinary in your neighborhood. You are asked to contact them right away. Again, there is no suspect information at this time. For now, watching out for you in Palmer Lake, Lena Howland, News 5. Lena, thanks. And friends of his turned out at the Red Rocks open space tonight for a final ride for Tim, as they called it. A mechanic by trade, but described by his friends as a great guy, vibrant personality, someone who would do anything for you. And one of his closest friends recalled for us the last conversation he had with Tim. We were planning to do a ride, one of his favorite rides. It's called the airplane ride and actually rides up Limbaugh Canyon towards an old wrecked airplane. And unfortunately, we never made that happen. And just kind of reminded me when to make plans with someone that's important, just do it while you can. <laughs> Our thoughts with Tim's family and friends tonight during this difficult time. We will continue to track the investigation, bring you updates on air and online at KOAA.com. This week we are discussing an unsolved case and we will be talking about a man named Tim Watkins.
Now, each week we take on a new case, and in doing so, essentially, we are taking a glimpse into someone's life, their family's lives, as well as friends in the community. This week, when looking into Tim Watkins' life and learning about him, I learned had I lived in that area in Palmer Lake, Colorado, I feel like Tim would have been a guy that I would have liked and found quite interesting. I'm always intrigued by people that are pretty hardcore into their hobbies. Yeah, and Tim was 60, but he did not look 60 at all. He looked easily in his 40s. Yes, and extremely physically fit. Mm -hmm. Now, the day in question, it was a warm Thursday morning in September when Tim Watkins, as you said, age 60, he sets out on his regular ride in Palmer Lake, Colorado. Palmer Lake and its nearby town of Monument are about 20 miles outside of Colorado Springs. It's a conservative, military-oriented city that is home to a U.S. Air Force Academy. To say that Tim was an experienced mountain biker is like saying Tom Brady played a little football. Yeah, yeah. Tim's life was mountain biking. At one time, Tim owned and operated a well-known bike shop in the area, and he actually helped to create and maintain the bike trail network that carved through the rugged, hilly terrain of Mount Hermon, connecting Monument, Palmer Lake, and the surrounding woodlands and canyons. Tim and his buddies even felled trees to create makeshift bike bridges over Monument Creek. Tim was the person responsible for drawing the most popular map of the bike trail network, and some trails bore his name. Tim and his wife lived just a few blocks from the trail network that crisscrossed Pike and San Isabel National Forest. On this day, Tim set out up the steady ascending Mount Hermon Road, which is not a paved highway, but an unpaved two-lane track. Now, we know which way he went, because at some point on Mount Hermon Road in the hills above Monument, Tim's phone butt-dialed a friend, and Tim had to stop his ride and say hello. This is the last known conversation anyone had with Tim Watkins. So who is Tim Watkins? Well, Tim was born on November 17, 1956 in Fort Collins, Colorado, and moved to Palmer Lake when he was very young. As a kid, he raced around his hometown on his dad's black relay three-speed. At college, he earned a degree in education. Afterward, he worked in the ski patrol. Tim loved adventure. He loved everything outdoors. He spent a lot of time learning survival skills, hunting and fishing. Most of these skills he learned from his father, Virgil. Tim and his first wife had two kids together, and they, they had their kids when they were quite young. Ariel and Isaac were very close to their father, even though Tim and his first wife divorced back in 1993. Tim started his bike shop, Balanced Rock Bike and Ski in Monument, around the year 2000 with his second wife. And he ran it for several years, but he was a bike guy, not a businessman. So the shop eventually closed, and Tim and his wife divorced. Tim's income from that point on was comprised of money he made working in other bike shops in the area, and he worked for a time for the school district with special needs children. Tim knew his third wife, Ginger, who was 10 years younger than him, since they were kids growing up in Palmer Lake. But Tim didn't pay any attention to her until much later when, as an adult, Ginger walked into a bike shop he was working in 
with a Colorado-built performance bike called a Yeti. Yeah, Tim and Ginger are going to get married in 2015. Together, they love to camp, bike, and ski. Tim was a tall, lanky, curly-haired redhead. He was known for being a great, caring, friendly guy. He had a naughty sense of humor, and he loved to have fun. Now, Tim was in a very bad accident in 1987 that left his feet and ankles mangled. This meant he no longer could run or hike. Mm. So biking became an outlet for his energy and turned into his passion. Tim was very involved in his church and had an affinity for Native American traditions and rituals. And he loved to work with leather and beads and make jewelry and other artwork for his friends. Tim lived outside as much as possible. He would often sleep in tents. I mean, this guy really did as much as he could in the great outdoors. Yeah, if you have any outdoorsy friend of yours, this is kind of how they they operate. I had a buddy one time that stayed in a teepee for a whole week because he thought it would be a little more fun than staying in the cabin. In September of 2017, Tim and Ginger were having some problems. They loved each other, but Tim's lack of steady income caused tension in the marriage. So we have Tim who seems to always be chin deep in something that he loves, mountain biking. But then you have his wife, Ginger, who is working six days a week and putting in long hours each day as a medical imaging technician. Right. In recent weeks, she told Tim that she needed a break and she actually asked him to move out for a while. Tim took to sleeping in his car at various trailheads and living in a tent. Tim at some point told his son Isaac that he was very depressed and that if it weren't for his kids, he might contemplate suicide. Tim was also suffering from memory loss that was getting worse and worse, and this was very frustrating for him. For those of you who have watched season three of True Detective, you know what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. On the day before he disappeared, Tim asked Ginger if he could come home. See, the next day was her birthday, and he wanted to spend that day with her. Ginger said yes, and he spent the night at the couple's house. The two made plans to celebrate their upcoming anniversary, which I believe was just a few days after her birthday. The next morning, Thursday, September 14th, Ginger left for work and Tim set out, we believe, around 10.30 a.m. on a bike ride. He had the single phone conversation around 11 a.m., with the friend that he accidentally called. And after that, no one heard from him. Now, Ginger returned from work around 8.30 p.m., expecting a small birthday celebration with her husband. She noticed that Tim and his bike were gone, but his car was in the driveway. Now, knowing that Tim would not be, he still wouldn't be riding at this time because he had notoriously bad night vision. Right. So she texted him, but she gets no response. Assuming he was with his, either his parents or his son, Ginger fell asleep. You know, mind you, she's just put in a very long day at work. Right. She woke up at 6 a.m. the next morning to find that Tim was still unheard from. After sending yet another unanswered text, she left for work. Around 10 a.m., she called the Old Town Bike Shop in Colorado Springs to see if Tim had showed up for work. He had not. Ginger knew that this was extremely unlike Tim. A few hours later, Isaac Watkins called, asking if she knew where his dad was. Now, Ginger began to be very worried at this point. Mm -hmm. 
She called the Palmer Lake Police Department, but was told by Chief Jason Vanderpool that Tim's disappearance didn't rise to the criteria for a missing persons report until Saturday after 48 hours had elapsed. Right. Well, a grown man goes off on his own and he's riding his bike. We don't know where he's going. Maybe he wanted to be missing. Yeah. And you know what? If, if the police chief is getting the full story when she calls in panicking saying, Hey, I haven't seen my husband in quite some time. Right. If he knows that the marriage was having some issues Mm -hmm. and also if he knows that Tim is an outdoor guy who has been known, especially in the past few weeks to sleep in his car or sleep in a tent, this is not really going to, I have to agree with the chief here. This doesn't really rise to the criteria of we should panic and this is a missing person. But the red flag for me would be the memory loss. Yes, and, and very true. And But if that is not played heavily onto the, the chief, then what is he supposed to do? Right. Well, Ginger and Isaac, they were not going to stop looking for their, you know, Ginger's husband and Isaac's father. And actually, Isaac began searching the hills above Palmer Lake. This is where he thought his father had likely gone by himself. Isaac worried that his father may have actually carried through on his thoughts of suicide. Remember, they had this conversation at some point. On Saturday, Ginger made a public plea on Facebook to help find Tim. Pretty much everyone in the area and certainly everyone even remotely connected to the biking community, they knew and they liked him. So 60 people gathered at the Palmer Lake Town Hall and organized grid searches among the network of trails. From there, 11 private search parties set out, fanning out over several square miles of forest. And around 2 p.m., one of the searchers is going to find a shoe. Yeah, this is near the entrance to the popular Limbaugh Trail, which leads into Limbaugh Canyon, one of Tim's favorite places to ride and a trail that he helped construct. The shoe was found on the side of Mount Herman Road near a beer can, and it was Tim's size. The shoe found was a size 42 Pearl Izumi bike shoe. And I apologize to the bike enthusiast if I mispronounced that that brand name. It's the kind of shoe that clips into the bike pedals. Yeah. So for those who don't know, these are special shoes designed to help the rider rotate the pedals more efficiently. While the shoes fasten to the pedals, they aren't designed for actual walking. No. These would be very difficult to walk in. But what I could find definitively was that for Tim, it's believed for Tim who had disfigured feet because of the accident, walking in the shoe would have been preferable to attempting to walk or run in his bare feet. Okay. So finding the shoe is, is not a great sign. Later, other volunteers spotted some items scattered up near Mount Herman road, about a half mile Northwest from the shoe. These were some of the contents of Tim's wallet specifically his Safeway card, some of his other cards, and his cell phone case. These were found past Limbaugh Trailhead, heading away from Palmer Lake. Then another team spotted Tim's bike off a trail. This titanium bike was specifically designed for Tim by his longtime friend Jeff Tessier. Right, but a lot of people that are really deep into this hobby will have 
a custom bike just for themselves. Yes, and, and this one was unique as it was custom built for Tim Watkins. It was immediately recognizable to those who knew Tim. So, I mean, the people that knew him immediately, they spot the bike and they're like, that's Tim's bike. There's no question. And this would have raised alarms big time if anyone else would have been spotted riding this bike or attempting to sell it at any point. The bike was located, it was about a quarter mile north of where the Limbaugh Canyon Trail breaks off from Mount Herman Road, 50 feet uphill from the Forest Service Trail. This is not an area that is accessible to cars. The bike didn't provide any answers, though. It was laid down on its side next to a tree. Now, it could have been placed there or it could have fallen there. But the bike did have a flat tire, and the gearing suggested that Tim was going downhill when he stopped riding the bike. After the bike was located, law enforcement began searching for Tim. The assumption was that Tim was injured somewhere, possibly due to a bike accident or even an animal attack. In fact, Tim once had a very close run-in with a mountain lion, and there are bears in this area. El Paso County Search and Rescue used bloodhounds to comb the area for Tim's scent. A local group of drone operators pitched in, providing aerial footage. Through Saturday night, searchers and volunteers found nothing else. So well over 48 hours since anyone has last seen or spoke to Tim. Well, I mean, you're actually over the 60-hour mark by this point. Right. And now we have found Tim's bike and a lot of his belongings, but still no Tim. Yeah, not good. The next day on Sunday, around 11.45 a.m., Tim was found dead. They found the body not 50 feet from where his bike was found and 40 yards west of the mouth of the Limbaugh Canyon Trail. Initially, searchers missed finding him. They were in that area. Tim's body was found lying in a shallow four-foot by three-foot old mineral prospector's hole. And his body was kind of covered up with branches and leaves. Tim's body was deliberately obscured. One of the searchers said, quote, well, hold on. So what you're saying is 50 yards from his bike where they're searching, mm -hmm. they find Tim basically in a hole, mm -hmm. a nature-made hole, but covered up. Well, a prospector's hole. Okay. So uh, a mineral prospector's hole, this is a shallow hole that that somebody would have used to, to try to find something, you know, some type of mineral, maybe be it gold or, or any other type of mineral. Right. So he's, he's in this hole, but it looks like somebody covered him up that he wasn't covered up just by the elements. No. Cause the way that this is stated is he's covered with branches and leaves and the people that were there at the scene, they state that he was deliberately obscured that it wasn't like these branches and leaves just happened to fall yeah. on top of him. It looked like somebody had placed them there. And one of the searchers said in regards to where Tim was found, he said, quote, literally we could have walked on top of Tim yesterday. That's how close we were to where his body was. Yeah. So when they say deliberately obscured, these people, I mean, they're outside looking for some of them are friends with Tim. They're outside looking for their friend. He must have been covered up pretty well, yeah. is what I'm guessing. So we talked about Tim's items and belongings that were found by searchers. 
Now let's talk about what items of Tim's that were not found. And this was Tim's hydration pack, his jacket, his helmet, his phone, and his socks in one of his shoes. Remember, only one shoe was found. We don't know about the cycling gloves. And I threw this in here because based off of photos that I could find, it seems like Tim usually wore gloves. And that seems to be a pretty common thing, right? But none of the articles ever mentioned whether the gloves were found or not found. Right. Tim's backpack was still on him containing a single banana. It's actually believed that uh, that would lead to some kind of indication of leading you to, to a better time frame of whatever happened when it happened, because he would, he would have stopped for a snack at some point on this trip, but he did not as it was found still in his backpack. Now the area where his body lay was wooded, uh, hard to get to and had no cell service. So how did Tim die? At first police did not publicly reveal the cause of death, leaving the townspeople to speculate and leading to rumors and gossip spreading. Stories circulated about animal attacks and car versus bike collisions. In fact, Tim's autopsy results have never been released, despite a lawsuit brought by the Colorado Springs Gazette seeking their unsealing. So we don't know any details as to specific injuries Tim might have sustained, but we do know something very important. Tim Watkins was shot. Police on the scene discovered that Tim's beloved mountain bike had a flat tire. Right. It had been shot through by a bullet. Now, CBS's Denver station reported on September 19th that Tim had been shot, quote, several times. Other news sources stated it was, quote, multiple times. Outside Online Magazine reported the following in November of 2018. According to sources familiar with the investigation, Watkins had been shot in three places and buried beneath logs and branches in a shallow depression 40 yards west of the Limbaugh Cannon Trail. Bullets had grazed his ear and injured his hand. The likely fatal shot from a 22 caliber entered near his ribs and never exited. Closer examination of his front tire later revealed that it had also been shot. Watkins is the first mountain biker known to have been murdered during a ride. And again, that's from Outside Online Magazine. Yeah, which raises even more questions. Additionally, there was a long story in the Gazette about the case where they interviewed a friend of Tim's who observed his body and describes it as, quote, pockmarked with bullet holes. But the El Paso County Sheriff has never confirmed the number of bullet holes or that a 22 was used. Right. The bullet that went into Tim's torso was removed and examined for potential ballistics matches, but it was determined that the bullet was too mangled to be usable for these type of tests. And of course, since the shooting occurred in the great outdoors, it's, it was difficult, if not impossible for investigators to find any shell casings. Now, if they did find any casings, they aren't telling us. But what investigators saw, the shot-out bike tire, the bullet-ridden body hidden in a depression and covered with foliage, was enough for Tim Watkins' death to be declared a homicide. The hiking, biking, camping, and generally outdoorsy community around Mount Hermon was shocked and terrified by the news 
that one of their own had been mowed down while doing what they loved, riding his bike. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL Learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch. To Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get 
their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers, mates. Cheers, Captain. It's very important in this case to discuss the location of where Tim's body was found and the the setting in general. So Mount Hermon is on the outskirts of Colorado Springs. It's a very big hunting and gun community. Most people in the area own guns and open air sport shooting at makeshift ranges was rampant and completely unregulated. As a result, bullets were whizzing around in the air in public recreation spaces. Locals voiced concern that accidental shootings were inevitable in this kind of situation. Tim and his son, like many in the area, had firsthand experiences with this. For example, about 10 years before Tim was killed, Tim and Isaac were backpacking and suddenly bullets whistled by Isaac's head and ricocheted off of a boulder. Near misses like this were fairly common. Other mountain bikers told stories of bullets hitting the trail in front of them as they navigated a narrow mountain bike trail. Right, so then you start wondering, in this case, is he accidentally hit by a bullet, and then do they try to cover it up, 
or or is he hit where he's injured badly and then they you know come up upon him mm-hmm. and his life and then try to move him out of the way so he's not found yeah it's pretty interesting well this is all going to lead to them trying to put an end to some of this just you know people shooting their guns off out in these these recreation spaces and there's another story um, that I came across. This one's from 2014 when a couple reported that while they were out picnicking, their Jeep was hit with gunfire. So yeah. stories like this about close calls with unregulated gunfire, they did cause the Forest Service to finally ban recreational shooting in the Mount Hermon area. This took place later in 2014. The ban cited... Weekly complaints of bullets barely missing people and 911 reports of trail users being pinned down by gunfire. According to Outside Online magazine, within days of the ban's implementation, signs announcing it was announcing the ban were peppered by gunfire, likely from protesting shooters. Right. Within weeks, Forest Service personnel issued about 80 warnings to people found shooting in defiance of the ban. Yeah, and this is this is strange to me because anybody that I know that owns a gun, they're very responsible with their guns, mm-hmm. and they would not be shooting in areas that somebody could accidentally get hit. Well, while some in the area say that the ban did cut down on random shooting, others say it largely went unheeded and unenforced. One state senator who was a friend of Tim's describes biking with his sons and seeing a dad and his kids shooting right at a no shooting sign and menacing him and his sons when he reminded them of the ban. And in 2015, a 60 year old grandfather named Glenn Martin was killed by an errant bullet while camping with his family, roughly 20 miles from where Watkins was shot. Martin's killer has never been found. Tim's friends and family say that while he was not confrontational and was always friendly, he often stopped and asked people firing their guns to be more cautious, warning them that they, that, you know, they're biking and they're hiking trails in their bullets range. One riding partner, friend of Tim's said, quote, I witnessed him with a shooter multiple times. He was very friendly he wrote up and said, hey, guys, I'm not against shooting or anything, but I just want to let you know that there's a trail right down below where your bullets are going. Usually, according to this person, they'd say, oh, OK, I didn't realize there's a trail down there and we'll make sure that we're shooting into a backstop. Right. One of Tim's favorite spots to bike to on his mountain biking excursions is called Shooter's Alley which is a popular popular shooting site dotted with shot up, tattered stuffed animals, shredded trees, and what's left of paper targets from shooters alley. A mountain bike trail leads downhill and to a four way trail intersection with trail seven fifteen. This is near where Tim's body was found. So while Tim had no known enemies, his family believed it is possible that Tim had approached the wrong person with his simple request to stop shooting and then had been shot. The fact that Tim was shot at least three times, according to media reports anyway, and his bike tire also shot, this ruled out an accidental shooting in the minds of most people. Right. Like you said, it could have been accidental 
in the beginning, but that's not how it ended. Right. There were other dangers in the woods of Mount Hermon other than haphazard shooting. Colorado legalized marijuana in 2012, and I mean, whether it's a direct result or coincidentally, the number of homeless, transient, and drifters who descended on the unsettled areas of the state skyrocketed. News articles started to crop up about the homeless and transient drifter problem doubling to quadrupling. As Outside Online Magazine described the setting, Mount Hermon had long been known for its backcountry conflicts. Bullets whizzed over makeshift shooting ranges. Reports of drinking and drug use were common, creating a sense of menace as drivers whipped around blind curves. Even if the sound of gunshots have quieted, the sight of homeless camps have created their own tension. Mountain bikers complain of abandoned camps resembling landfills and of eroding sense of safety as the area's homeless population grows. Some say enforcement of the Forest Service's ban on living in national forest land is lacking, as is ticketing for campers who remain in one place longer than two weeks. So Tim was all too aware of the destruction caused by these illegal activities. He was one of the people who took it upon themselves to clean up the broken TVs, old couches and other trash left behind by the homeless who lived in the campsites illegally and human waste was a problem as well as these camps were not often near sanitary facilities. And often these homeless encampments would be littered with used needles. Tim's family said that Tim was not one to take violations of the law, dangerous behavior and destroying of his, his beloved natural environment lightly. Yeah. If he saw cars driving recklessly close to cyclists on Mount Hermon Road, he'd be likely to flip them the bird or shout something. He probably would have said something to campers or homeless who were littering. Right. So now we have the idea that possibly you had an accidental shooting that then becomes not accidental or the idea that, that somebody is shooting onto a trail and Tim stops and says, hey, guys don't shoot on this trail and then it turns bad. Mm-hmm. We have this other layer of somebody squatting in that area doing something strange and he stops to tell tell them not to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's this very strange twist to the Tim Watkins case. Several searchers volunteering in the hunt for Tim Watkins noticed a beat up red car with Indiana plates slowly and repeatedly driving past various search areas along Mount Hermon Road as if the driver was there to take a closer look or to see what's going on. Right. One of the searchers snapped a photo of the red sedan driving past the turnout at Limbaugh Canyon, near where Tim's body was ultimately found. The searcher said he became suspicious when the car drove by more than once. Well, and also a little more suspicious because, like you said, it has Indiana license plates, and they're in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Well, they quickly forgot about the incident, this being in the wake of finding and discovering Tim's body. But within days, reports circulated that a man was threatening people with a hatchet on the trails near where Tim was found. On September 25th, police in Woodland Park, which is 20 miles down Mount Hermon Road from Monument, announced an arrest of a transient. Police spotted a vehicle, the vehicle that we just discussed, which matched the description of the one driven by the 
Hatchet Man. They saw this vehicle in an Arby's parking lot. They waited to see who got into the car and then pulled the car over for expired Indiana plates and a broken taillight. Driving the red Chevy Prism was a 31-year-old man named Daniel Nations. They arrested him for, quote, unrelated weapons charges. But Mount Hermon residents took notice when the sheriff's office also charged Nations with felony menacing, according to the arrest affidavit. Nations accosted and threatened a passing dirt biker with a hatchet at his campsite on Mount Hermon Road after placing logs in the road that forced the rider to stop. Nations blocked off the road with logs, seized a hatchet, and brandished it at the dirt bike rider, saying his bike was too loud. The rider turned around and sped away and reported the incident. Officers searched Nations' car and found a hatchet and a twenty-two caliber rifle, possibly the same caliber bullet that killed Tim Watkins, although this has never been confirmed by law enforcement. Right. In addition to these formal charges, it seems that there were several other reports of threatened violence and menacing against Daniel Nations. For example, Detective Jason Darbyshire of El Paso County Sheriff's Office told Outside Online Magazine that Nations acted aggressively during a road rage incident in Monument around the same time. Nations got out of his vehicle, confronted another driver, and ended up kicking and breaking their windshield. They added that the incident escalated very quickly. In addition, the media reported that several complaints had been filed about a man menacing mountain bikers with a hatchet. One friend of Tim's posted on a mountain biking forum that his son and some of his mountain biking buddies encountered a beat-up red four-door sedan in the road that drove off the road into the bushes And when they stopped to see if the driver was okay, he came out at them with a hatchet. They reported the incident to the sheriff. Now, Nation's wife and two young children were with him at the time of his arrest. And a background check on Nation's revealed that he had a criminal background, including felony convictions for domestic battery in front of a child and a sexual offense, both in Morgan County, Indiana. Nations also has convictions for indecent exposure and had habitual drunk driving in South Carolina. The report also notes that Nations was charged multiple times with domestic violence. Because of his felony history, Nations cannot legally own a firearm, but he seems to be in possession of one. Right. I mean, there's so many red flags here, not to mention that he's waving a hatchet around to bikers on on a bike path. Mm Mm-hmm. So police also charged him with felony possession of a firearm. And since the threats against hikers and bikers took place in El Paso County, police there charged him with felony menacing, reckless endangerment, assault, and trespassing. Finally, on October 10th, final charges on suspicion of failing to register as a sex offender were filed against Daniel Nations. Well, and he's checking a lot of boxes. So one, we have this guy that obviously something's wrong with him mentally. We have something happening with him as far as being a sex offender. He's from Indiana. He is attacking people on these hiking trails in the nature. Or threatening to attack people. Right. But, I mean, look, if you set up logs so somebody has to stop so you can confront them, we're getting dangerous here. Mm -hmm. He has a gun on him. 
This guy has a history, and we have a case that's happening back in Indiana with two dead girls, and he kind of looks like the composite drawing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what's weird about this portion of the Watkins case, because initially when Nations is picked up, he's actually picked up on possible suspicion of some kind of involvement in the Tim Watkins murder case. And then that quickly leads to the suspicion that he could be, could have been involved in another much more prominent case as you know, his mugshot is circulated from being picked up in Colorado. And then in the minds of many who see his mugshot say that he resembled a wanted suspect and resembled the composite sketch from the unsolved double homicide case known as the Delphi murders case in Indiana. Now nations recently lived in Indiana. And of course we covered the February, 2017 Delphi murders case back in May of 2017 in episodes 110 and 111. That seems so far ago. It does seem a very long time ago. So what do we know that could possibly tie Daniel nations to that of the Delphi murders, right? The murders of uh, two young girls, Libby and Abby. So for one thing, it's his last known address in Indiana. It, it is not far from where the girls were found about 60 miles. The girls were taken on a trail used for hiking and biking, similar to the case with Tim Watkins and the people nations threatened with his hatchet. Libby and Abby and Tim were all found in relatively inaccessible areas located off trails, the Creek ravine for the girls and the Canyon for Tim. Now the cause of death in Liberty Germain's and Abigail Williams's case has never been officially released. We don't know if they were shot or whether a hatchet might have been involved, but whatever it is or whatever it was in combination with the mugshot composite similarities of Daniel nations, former residents in Indiana and a criminal history, it was enough to make investigators in the Delphi murders fly to Colorado to interview Daniel nations. It emerged in the media that Indiana state police had actually been looking for nations in connection possibly in connection with the Delphi case starting around July of 2017 when it was noted that nations had failed to check in as a sex offender in Carroll County for more than two months. So he left for Colorado in May and failed to notify anyone that he was leaving the state of Indiana in response to all the tips that the Indiana state police received about Daniel nations based on his mugshot, they released the following statement. We are aware of the arrest of the person in Colorado and are investigating to see if he could be a suspect in the Delphi double murder investigation. Mm -hmm. Please keep in mind the Indiana state police has received more than a thousand photos of persons alleged to be similar in appearance to the composite sketch of the Delphi person of interest. Right. Each and every one of these tips are investigated for any potential connection to our case. We will give the same attention to the person arrested in Colorado, but right now there is nothing that definitively connects this person to our investigation. All right. So just looking at the picture of Daniels, the composite drawing, what's your initial thoughts on that? Um, You know, I think the way that I said this before, when we've discussed it on off the record, 
is I feel like the close-up mugshot of Daniel Nations does look to me like the composite sketch. There right. are some similarities there. However, I don't know that he when in comparison to the the picture of the bridge guy, which is ultimately what they're going to use to form their composite sketch of. I think he resembles the sketch, but I don't think he resembles the picture of the bridge guy. Does that make sense? Is yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I would agree. I mean, it seems like his build, because Daniel wasn't as big of a guy, but again, it's a picture from Snapchat that we don't really know. Like, it's on a bridge, so it's really hard to tell. Is is, is, is this person tall? Or are they short? It's, mm-hmm. it's really hard to determine. But I agree. I think the build doesn't match Daniel's. Yeah. And you know what? I did come across his physical description somewhere of Daniel nations. And, um, I'll continue to look through my notes. I'm looking to see if I can find that, but, right. um, but I, his, his mugshot, if, if I remember correctly, his mugshot is a little deceiving. I actually think he might be, he, he was a little heavier than I expected right? in the weight department. Um, but the, the bridge guy now, mind you, the bridge guy could be wearing multiple layers of, of clothing and jackets. Yeah. And that's one thing that's very difficult to discern about the bridge guy is his weight, is his build. I think it's easier to pick out his height because you have the, you know, you have him walking on the bridge. You have those rails and um, that he's walking on. The most difficult thing about this case, as far as the Delphi case goes, is there's so much speculation on what they have that they have a picture of him, that they have more pictures of the the suspect, that they have audio, that they have maybe video, mm-hmm. that there's possible DNA. And we keep having these guys become suspects and then being rolled out. And you don't know what is happening with that. And we were just talking earlier, they had a press conference where they basically were saying, like, we don't have much new to share, but we want to keep this in the spotlight and people talking about this. Mm-hmm. And they've had, I think over 35 or 38,000 tips. Yeah. That's a lot of tips. Yeah. That, I mean, the country really came together. I mean, not just Indiana, super big time in Indiana, but you know, you and I remember when this was going on and as the news was breaking, it seemed to go national very quickly after the Delphi case. Right. And it seemed like everywhere, people were were flooding police with these tips. Well, and like you said, there was a thousand side-by-side photos that were probably given to law enforcement where it's, hey, my neighbor kind of looks like this guy. Hey, there's this registered sex offender that kind of looks like this guy. Hey, here's a guy that I found on Facebook that kind of looks like this guy. Mm. And other than that, it was just this guy kind of looks like the drawing but you have to have more than that. What, what's the criminal history? Right. And it's it's so much that, but also the suspicion here would be, you know, so many times when we talk about profiles being released of the suspected offender in a case, be it a serial killer, be it a, a one-off murder, be it something as horrible and polarizing as the Delphi murders case. They often state that they would believe that there would be a huge change in behavior by this person. And they tell the public, keep an eye out for that. Well, in this scenario, we have a guy that fled the whole state of Indiana. Yeah. 
I mean, that wouldn't be outside of the box of what they're what they might be looking for. You know, they they reference so many times. You might want to question somebody who had recently sold a vehicle or recently changed certain habits or changed their facial, you know, their appearance. But this guy, he doesn't not look like the composite. And he it's known that he fled the state of Indiana just within months after the murders. Well, and he didn't flee the state and just went into hiding. He is now having these acts of violence onto other people. The spokesperson, Jackie Kirby, with the El Paso County Sheriff's Office, admitted, quote, many similarities in the Watkins case and the Delphi murders and was not denying a possible connection. She said police in Indiana have requested no further information be released to the public. Quote, they have asked us not to speak on their case, so I am not at liberty to elaborate on anything that's related to what happened in Indiana, said Kirby. The Indiana State Police investigators left Colorado without charging Daniel Nations in the Delphi murder case. All right, we got so much more to get to in Tim Watkins' case. Please, won't you join us tomorrow back here in the garage. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.